The Power Zone Sports Podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, TicketSmarter.com, and our Florida realtor, Drew Felios. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is to be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one. Swag lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is safe. Green run. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports Podcast. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Black Friday, a little shopping over the weekend, a little Cyber Monday, Small Business Saturday. Um, hard to believe Christmas is less than 30 days away, but yes, it will be third, four weeks from Sunday or from Monday, I believe. Four weeks from Monday will be Christmas. So hopefully everybody's getting into the festive spirit somewhat. I know down here in Tampa, it's been cold this week. We've got a nice cold spell the last couple of days. Temperatures in the uh, 40s and low 50s, which is a a uh, welcomed sight for me. And I know a lot of people in Florida don't like the cold weather, but I like a little cold weather as we get to the holiday season. So um, the sports calendar is starting to wind down just a little bit. You have the college football season is down to its conference championship weekends. After this week, we will have the Heisman Trophy presentation next weekend, as well as the Army-Navy game. And we'll have a little bit of a break between the conference title games and the New Year's, I believe it's New Year's Eve, New Year's Day uh, semifinals. Bowl games will start in mid-December, kind of the second or third week in December. So we'll have a little lull in the college football season. The NFL season is getting to the... uh, Final six weeks or so, uh, you guys, you got teams starting to position themselves for playoff berths, positioning in the conference, home home field advantage, things like that. So lots of stuff going on in the NFL. Uh, Major League Baseball is kind of starting their free agency. There's been some signings this week. The winter meetings uh, are next week, I believe. Uh, if not, I believe that they are next week where you'll, we're going to talk a couple things in the Major League Baseball front. The NBA is underway. Their in-season tournament, the little in-season tournament uh, thing that they're running is down to the quarterfinals. So we'll have eight teams left of that. The final, the semifinals and the finals will be played out in Vegas and I think it's December 8th and 9th, something like that. So we got a little uh, drama with the uh, in-season NBA tournament. And then obviously we have the college football playoff rankings that just came out. The uh, the penultimate rankings came out on Tuesday with Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Washington 3, Florida State 4. And the final rankings will come out Sunday at 12 o'clock Eastern time leading into the NFL. So we will know Sunday at uh, 12 o'clock the final four pairing for the college football playoff. And we got some drama surrounding that. We have a great guest that's going to break it. We're going to break down all the different scenarios with my guy Matt Zemick from USA Today's Trojan Wire. Matt covers uh, USC, but he also covers the Pac-12. So we're going to get into the, uh, to me, the game of the weekend's the Pac-12 game out in Vegas on Friday night between Oregon and Washington. Uh, lots on the line as far as potential uh, playoff berth, as well as potential Heisman Trophy winner could come out of that game with Patrick, uh, with with Bo Nix and uh, Michael Penix. So we're going to get into all the depth. We're also going to go through all the scenarios with Matt. If these teams lose, what happens? If Georgia loses, what happens? If Florida State loses, what happens? Is is Florida State vulnerable even if they win, potentially? Um, does, Ale- does the SEC get shut out completely under a certain scenario? And does Ohio State, after losing to Michigan over the weekend, have any chance? If you didn't see uh, much of the games last week, Terrific weekend of rivalry games. You had the Florida-Florida State game, a lot of drama. You had the unbelievable finish in uh, Jordan-Hare with Alabama and Auburn with Bama converting fourth and goal from the 31. You had a wild finish out in the Apple Cup with Washington-Washington State where Washington went for it on their own 29-yard line in a tie game in the last minute and a half. You had uh, 
Oregon, Oregon State. You had, again, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia Tech uh, was a little bit of drama there. So we had a ton of, uh, I mean, obviously we had the Ohio State-Michigan showdown up in uh, in Ann Arbor, which turned out to be a really, really good game with Michigan coming out on top 30-24. Uh, to 24. So uh, we had a lot, again, v- most people thought last weekend was not going to be very exciting, but as they usually are, rivalry weekends turn out to be terrific. So uh, Matt Zemick and I are going to talk about that. We're also going to hit on the coaching hires. How about... How about Arkansas bringing back Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator after the debacle he put them through some 10 or 11 years ago with the mistress and the motorcycle crash? Unbelievable that uh, Arkansas has brought back Bobby Petrino to be the offensive coordinator, which leads you to believe that if Arkansas were to get off to a slow start next year, that Sam Pittman will be in some serious trouble as far as losing his job. I could easily see a scenario if after a couple weeks next year they lose a couple of games early, Bobby Petrino could be the new could be, be reinstated as the head coach at Arkansas, which would be unbelievable to think about, given what he put uh, what 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 an embarrassment he was to the university some ten or eleven years ago. It sounds like, from a lot of indications, that this was a booster in Walmart kind of decision. If you know, if you don't know, Walmart's based out of Arkansas, and I'm, they are major con- boosters in that program. It sounds like this was not a Sam Pittman hire, more more so than it was a boosters and alumni push for Bobby Petrino to return. So we will see how this uh, potentially unfolds. You have to give Bobby credit when he was the head coach. Did a great job on the field. He was a train wreck off the field, and he's been a train wreck most of his coaching career off the field. But he is a very good offensive mind. He had Arkansas uh, rolling pretty good when he was the head coach, but he obviously, you know, the demons of his off the field behaviors caught up to him with his affair and all you know we know all the, the different things he's done over the years as far as leaving the Falcons and interviewing for other jobs and all that kind of stuff so but the Arkansas it just shows you how desperate Arkansas is to become relevant again they've not been relevant in several years Pittman had one good year early on but again not very relevant the last several years a brutal conference that they're in in the SEC Obviously, you got more teams coming with Texas and Oklahoma coming. So, can Bobby Petrino be a a difference maker and stay keep his nose clean at stint number two in Fayetteville, which we will have to see. Uh, Matt and I will also talk about the coaching hires, Mike Elko and some others. So, you'll enjoy my chat with again Matt Zemmick. We're going to go through all the scenarios as far as the college football playoff, all the different possibilities that could happen. Uh, so, you'll enjoy that chat. So. Um, hit a couple of NFL notes. Again, the showdown this week is going to be Philadelphia and uh, San Francisco. You saw Philadelphia have the great comeback against Buffalo last week, the thrilling overtime win over the Bills in the rain in Philadelphia. Elliott kicks the 59-yard field goal, then Jalen Hurts scores the touchdown in overtime. Now you have probably the battle for the number one seed in the NFC this week. San Francisco comes to Philadelphia for a late 425 start in Philly. Fully healthy is San Francisco now, back rolling after the Thanksgiving night win against Seattle. Purdy's playing well. Debo's healthy. Trent Williams. And then you have Philadelphia coming off a in the middle of their gauntlet of a schedule. You had Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, and Dallas all in consecutive weeks. They've won the first two. Uh, and, we'll, and, and then the third one's this week, and then you got the Cowboys next week. So a critical two weeks for the Eagles. If the Eagles probably split this next two weeks, they will probably be uh, still in the driver's seat for the number one seed and the division title. If they were to lose both games, Dallas wins them both, then the Eagles would be now vying for a division title, potentially even dropping down to the five seed in the NFC. So two big weeks for the Eagles here. And again, if you're the 49ers, you're trying to uh, – uh, do some have some revenge from the NFC title game. Remember, Purdy gets hurt early in that game in the NFC title game. They could, basically could not call a pass play because they didn't have a quarterback left to throw the ball. So the Eagles go to the Super Bowl last year. So I, the Niners have a lot of motivation here, and I really think the Niners could be the could be the play here on Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia 
Again, fully healthy. The running game will be a massive factor. The Bills gashed the uh, the Eagles last week running the ball. So I think you'll see Kyle Shanahan really lean on the run. Brock Purdy with the play action. Again, you got Ayuk, you got Samuel, you got Kittle, you got McCaffrey. Uh, the Philly offense is still not not still not rolling yet. The uh, San Francisco defense uh, is still legit. Obviously, with the acquisition of. Uh, Chase Young, Randy Gregory, that front four has been lethal the last month or so. So I really give the advantage to the 49ers here on Sunday afternoon in Philly. But I am surprised that the Niners are three-point road favorites. <coughs> and I will get to this. I'll give you a pick for this game here in my Powers picks. I'll give you three picks for the weekend here in just a couple of minutes. But uh, but that but again, the NFL schedule, again, positioning, the NFC, the uh, – you have the Cowboys, you got the uh, NFC South scenario, and in the AFC, you have a lot of jockeying for the number one spot. Uh, you got Baltimore, you got Kansas City, you got Jacksonville all in the mix. Uh, big win for Jacksonville last week in Houston. You had Kansas City beating uh, uh, Vegas, and then you had Baltimore with a nice win out on the West Coast. So uh, things are getting really heated up in the AFC for sure. You got the Steelers continuing to win. You had the firing of Frank Reich in Carolina after the 1-10 start. Uh, the, the David Tepper, sixth coach in 48 months, is the owner of the Panthers. He's turning into the George Steinbrenner of the NFL as far as firing coaches. Uh, we'll definitely, uh, you know, we'll see where, where they go at the end of this year. But a total misfiring in Carolina's and a reset is needed, obviously, with the uh, Bryce Young selection and then C.J. Stroud doing as well as he did. Remember, the Bears have the Carolina number one pick, which is projected to be the number one overall pick for this uh, this coming up year as part of the Bryce Young trade. So more disaster for the for the Panthers. Their draft capital has been depleted for next this next offseason. Very critical hire for the Carolina Panthers coming up here in this offseason. Uh, they will start, uh, I'm sure, start that research process ASAP. Could Jim Harbaugh be a guy potentially there uh, for Bryce Young? Uh, can they get a guy like Ben Johnson from the Lions, an offensive mind? I think you definitely have to hire an offensive coach to work with Bryce Young. Uh, could Bill Belichick be a potential uh, suitor there if the disaster in New England continues to go the way it's going? And boy, what a dumpster fire that's turning into up in New England. There's, to me, there's no way Belichick uh, returns to New England. I think it'll be a mutual parting of the ways with he and Kraft. Uh, I know Kraft doesn't want to do it, but you can't continue. You can't be three and fourteen, four and thirteen if you're the New England Patriots. They just look terrible on the field, have no skill, have no dynamic players on either side of the ball. Um, I think you need somebody to come in there and kind of change that. Uh, just a new new voice in that organization. Belichick's been there for 20-plus years. I think it's just time for a new voice in New England. So I can, I, I, I'm, I'm predicting, I'm telling you, I don't see Bill Belichick uh, returning to the Patriots again. It'll be a mutual parting of the ways. Uh, it'll be amicable and all that stuff. But I think Bill Belichick will be coaching somewhere else next year if he wants. Potentially, could he go to New England? Could he go to uh, the Chargers, Justin Herbert? Could he come to a place like Tampa, potentially? Uh, I know the Glazers and Bill Belichick have a relationship uh, place like that. So be very interesting to see. Again, NFL coaching carousel will be in full effect here pretty soon. At the end of the year, you're probably going to have eight or nine openings. You've already had a couple, but you're probably going to have an eight, a total of eight or nine openings. Uh, so be very interesting to see uh, the different spots. You got Tampa, the Chargers, uh, Chicago potentially. You got the entire AFC. You got the Jets possibly, maybe even Buffalo if they don't make the playoffs. You got the entire NFC South is vulnerable. New Orleans, Atlanta, depending on what happens in that division, Tampa Bay. Um, AFC wise, you probably you, you obviously already have an opening in Vegas. You have an, probably going to have an opening in in in, in with the Chargers. Uh, but again, um, lots and lots of openings potentially. So lots of different musical chairs about to happen in the uh, coaching world in the NFL. So, all right, MLB uh, owners meetings next week. Uh, coming up here real soon. Free agency's already started. You've seen some uh, moves uh, trickle through the uh, the media. You'll see some trades here. Some some big players get traded, and then you have the fr the looming free agency of Shohei Otani. What kind of deal does he get? What teams are in the mix? Does he want to stay on the coast, the West Coast, Seattle potentially, uh, Anaheim, the Dodgers, 
Or does he decide he want to go to, to a big market team, maybe the Cubs, maybe the Braves? There's been some rumblings about the Braves being in the mix. Uh, but Otani's free agency is, will be uh, front and center with MLB at the winter meetings. And, again, you'll have some trades of some big names, stuff like that. Juan Soto, potentially. Randy Arozarena here in Tampa. Things like that. So there'll be some hot stove stuff uh, with the MLB winter meetings coming up here. Last thing, give you, give you three picks before we get to Matt Zemeck. Uh, three picks in the, uh, the football world this week. I like Washington in the college football on Friday night, plus 9.5. That's just too many points to give a team that's 12-0. and 0. Uh, The offense is too good in Washington. I think even if the game uh, is 14, I could see it at worst a backdoor cover by Washington at the end. I think Washington's going to win the game outright. I think they're a team of destiny. They've won some close games. I like Michael Penix a little more than I like Bo Nix. And I just think Washington's one of those is one of those years for a team like Washington. They're going to figure out a way to get it done. So I like Washington plus the nine and a half in the Pac-12 title game, which will knock out Oregon. Uh, in the pros, I like San Francisco on Sunday. We talked about that a little bit a few minutes ago. I like San Fran minus a three or two and a half in Philadelphia. Revenge, health, playing better. I just think this is the time. This is a great spot for the 49ers to catch the Eagles, uh, who've been kind of skating by the last couple of weeks. Um, and the last game I like is I like Tampa Bay minus the five and a half against uh, a, a Carolina team that's in disarray. It's a must-win game for Todd Bowles, Baker Mayfield, and that Buccaneer team. Carolina's coming in in, in, in free fall. I think this is just uh, this is just a good spot for the Buccaneers and, a, again, a must-win game for them. Um, Baker Mayfield's playing for his future in Tampa. He will not. I don't think he'll be the quarterback in Tampa if they lose this game. After uh, Sunday, if they lose, I think you'll see Kyle Trask. So this is an absolute must-win game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think they'll get it done. I'd lay the Bucks in the 5.5, San Francisco minus 3, and Washington in the college football plus the 9.5. I think Georgia's going to beat Alabama on uh, Saturday in Atlanta. I just think the quarterback's going to be the difference here. Carson Beck, who is a really, really good player, has gotten better every virtually every week this year. I think the offensive weaponry of Georgia is going to be too much for Alabama. I think it'll be a little higher score, and I think both teams will score. I don't think both te- I don't think both defenses are elite. They're really good, but not elite. Um, but I think the diversity of Georgia being able to run the ball and throw the ball. Bowers is back healthy. Lad McConkey's back. You got good running backs. And I think Carson Beck will be the difference here uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs, who've who've never beaten Nick Saban in the Georgia, in the Mercedes Benz slash Georgia Dome, uh, whether it's uh, SEC title game or college football playoffs. I think Kirby Smart gets it done, knocks out Alabama. I think Florida State's going to win a close one on. Um, on Saturday, the ACC title. Here's what I will warn Florida State: You better not win that game 14 to 10. You better you better score in the mid 20s as far as offensively related, and you better not get Tate Rodemaker hurt. Because if Tate Rodemaker gets hurt and they win the game, Florida State's going to get left out. If Florida State wins a 14 to 10 kind of game, which I don't think it'll be that low scoring, but if they win a defensively oriented, offensively challenged game. You're giving the committee ammunition to keep you out at 13 and 0, and I know it's hard to justify keeping a team out at 13 and 0, but I could see a scenario if Texas rolls, if uh, you know, if there's a classic game between Georgia and Alabama that a, that an undefeated Florida State could get left out if they don't score very many points, and or if the quarterback were to get injured. Remember, the quarterback got virtually knocked out last week in Gainesville, and he was very fortunate that he came back in the game. I was shocked that he came back in the game, but he came back in the game. But if Rodemaker were to get injured in this game and they still won, I don't think there's any way Florida State gets gets in with a third-string quarterback in the college football playoff. So those are your two uh, doomsday scenarios for the Seminoles. But again, I hope we have a little bit of controversy on Sunday with the selection committee. Remember, 12 o'clock Sunday is the selection show where all four teams will be nominated or named, as well as the bowl. All the bowls will be selected. Shout out to the USF Bulls down here for getting bowl eligible um, after a rough few years. So shout out to Alex Golish and company for doing that down here in the state of Florida. So, all right, Matt Zemmick coming up, USA Today Trojan Wire. Again, we're going to break down the. Uh, College football uh, scenarios in depth. He's going to give you some great insight on the Pac-12 title game, Heisman Trophy, coaching hires, and such. So enjoy my chat. Matt Zem, again, appreciate you finding us. 
Find me on Twitter and X at JPO Sports, YouTube channel, Jason Power Sports Channel. If you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review Powers on Sports Podcast. Tell a friend, tell your football buddies. We try to provide good info for you, give you some picks, make you some money. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. We'll know who's in the Final Four. We'll be right back. Matt Zemick, USA Today, Trojan Wire. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market for a new home? Are you looking to get into a a single-family residence, condo, townhouse, duplex, whatever it is? If you need financing help to get pre-approved, which you need to do, reach out to Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers. We'll get you approved in less than 24 hours. We'll get you qualified, figure out what you can afford, and we will get you in a position to be able to make that offer. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending. We can help you with an FHA loan, a VA loan if you're a veteran, a conventional loan, a bank statement loan. We can help you with a investment property, a second home. Whatever their financing needs are, reach out to me, Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. As we roll into the holiday season of November and December, and you are looking to either buy a gift or potentially go in person to see your favorite NFL game, college football, Major League Baseball, the World Series is wrapping up, NHL season is just underway, and now the NBA. Ticketsmarter.com is your place to go for tickets on the secondary market. Whether it's the app, the Ticketsmarter.com app, it is the ideal place to buy tickets on the secondary market. And I've got a special code for you to save you some money. Powers10 is the code. Use Powers10 if you want to save 10 bucks on a purchase of $100 or more. Or you can use the code Powers20 and save $20 on a $300 purchase. Again, you can use this code as many times as you like all over the country, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, the college football season wrapping up, bowl games, college football playoff, Whatever it is, Ticketsmarter.com and the Ticket Smarter app is the place to go. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us. It is championship week all along the college football world. No better person to talk college football. We're not going to talk USC, which I know that's his daily beat, but we're going to talk the conference he knows exceptionally well. He's very dialed in all over the country. Uh, different topics and narratives and storylines, but Pac-12 is really where uh, Matt makes his hey. My man Matt Zemick, uh, editor of Trojan Wire, part of the USA Today, uh, TrojanWire.com uh, feed. Welcome back, Mr. Zemick. Thanks, Jason. Conference Championship Week, and of course, you know, what What are the scenarios going to be for the playoff? Like, that's the thing that everyone's talking about. Let's go back to rivalry week last week, and we had some wide, everybody thought it was going to be a pretty kind of a bland, boring week, but we had some dramatic finishes, both in Ohio State, Michigan, out your way, Washington, Washington State was a dramatic finish with what Caleb DeBoer did late in that game, going forward on his own 29 late in the game. Give me a thought about you or about the Washington, Washington State game. A lot of people thought that could be a decent game and it ended up being a great game. And how about the call Caleb DeBoer makes fourth and one from his own 29? Yeah, that was a brilliant play call. And, you know, like when you get into those high leverage situations, you learn about coaches and their staffs, their coordinators. Like, do they bring out the very best play uh, in a high leverage situation? Because so often, Jason, like you've watched enough football to know this, you know, some teams will just try to ram the ball up the gut or they'll go with a shotgun snap on fourth down and half a yard uh you know like they'll do the obviously wrong thing they'll do something that you know doesn't make any sense at all like you know the Jacksonville Jaguars on that uh play right before halftime like you take the ball right out of Trevor Lawrence's hands you know with a pitch play that was wasn't going uh anywhere like just an obviously dumb call but on the other side you know when when coaches bust out plays like the one you saw from Washington like you say, all right, that guy, that coaching staff gets it. And that, and like, that's why Washington's 12 and 0. I mean, the Huskies haven't been dominant either. They've been skating by. They haven't looked all that good since that Oregon game. Uh, whereas Oregon's been mashing people yep. regularly. But like, there's a reason why Washington wins these close games is that when you get into these tight situations, DeBoer and his staff usually come up with something pretty special. 
Also, of course, their opponents have been missing opportunities, and that's been one of the big themes of this whole college football season, and not just with Washington, but Florida State, yep. Texas, Alabama. Alabama survives. Yeah, they're they're not playing great, but opponents are are swinging and missing when they get that big chance to beat them. And I think with Washington. I think I think the thinking with Caleb DeBoer was if I'm going to go down, we're not going we're going to lose this game. It's going to be with an offensive play, other than relying on my defense, who's been shaky, a little bit suspect. I'm going to put the ball in my Heisman Trophy candidate's hands for one yard. If we don't lose, it's because of the offense, not because of the defense. Totally, and that that also reflects wisdom. That you know, the way you win games at Iowa is the is different from the way you win games at Washington. Right, which is different from the way you win games at Florida State, and it's all about the personnel you have, right? And and the good coaches, the great coaches, they take what they have and they use that as their way to win games, as opposed to, I have a scheme and I'm going to force my players to conform to that scheme. No, you 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 adjust your scheme to your personnel, and you rely on the strengths of the personnel. You tailor whatever you're doing to your personnel like if you're a coach you should be smart enough to say well i have these groceries you know bill parcel used to talk about right people who shop for the groceries and the people who cook the groceries so if you have a certain certain uh items in your grocery bag you do the things that bring out the flavors in those items and you should be skilled enough and smart enough to you know unlock the flavors of those ingredients so that's what great coaches do. Like that, you should know your sport fully enough that you can take different kinds of personnel. Like this is what Be- Bill Belichick and Nick Saban have done so well for so long. They will take very different kinds of personnel and they will study that and they'll say, "Hey, how do I maximize what I what what I have here?" And so, like that is Washington relying on its offense. You know, that's where your bread's buttered. That's how you need to win games. You're not going to win games 13-10. 10-7, you, know, you need to go down swinging with your offense. All right, so Washington escapes. They kick a game-winning field goal at the gun to, to beat Washington State. Um, you know, g- good win. Again, after – so we're going to kind of move let's, – let's transition to the game Friday night. And they're playing in Vegas, correct, Allegiant Stadium? Yeah, yep. So, so Friday night you got Oregon-Washington in the rematch. For those of you who don't remember, obviously Washington beat Oregon in the regular season in Seattle with 39-36, I believe. Was the, it was, was a three-point game. Yeah, yeah. either 36-33 or 39-36. Yeah. You had Dan Lanning go for it. He he kind of went against his. He's a defensive guy, and he relied on his offense. They didn't make it on fourth down. Could have, you know, uh, they didn't make it. Washington wins the game on defense. Everybody would have thought after that game, Washington would have been the team that would have been a climbing. It's kind of been the other way. Washington's kind of plateaued, and Oregon has really gone through the roof post that post loss there so kind of the 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 momentum of each team has flipped a little bit again obviously both teams have won all their games since then but i think the momentum has kind of flipped and everybody's been hoping waiting for washington to finally slip on the banana peel they haven't done it but we got the rematch back in back in las vegas how do you give me a a a point or two that you think in this game has got to be different for oregon to win and maybe a thing or two that washington needs to do differently in order to beat them a second time well, I think, you know, let's start with Washington because the Huskies have just been getting by and they've been taking everyone's best punch. Like, you know, you have and you're the unbeaten team. You have all that pressure. You know, can we stay unbeaten? Can we keep this thing going? And you have all every opponent is coming at the Huskies hard now, like not well. I mean, in terms of like they're getting a great effort from every opponent, but but their opponents aren't playing precisely enough. They aren't playing cleanly enough to seal the deal. Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, like they all played extremely physical and tough games, but they all made mistakes that left Washington off the hook. But but for Washington, like Washington has been the hunted, not the hunter. Right. And Washington in this game needs to kind of just stop and say, hey, we're not the hunted anymore. This is now is our moment. It's our opportunity. And I think what might help Washington – be, you know, gain that kind of mindset that like, we're not the hunted. We're now pursuing this opportunity of going to the playoff and winning the Pac-12 title. 
What's going to help Washington is that Oregon's a nine-point favorite. Everybody like thinks that, Oregon's going to win the game. Everybody yes. thinks Oregon's going to win the game. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Oregon's okay. playing better, more consistent, both sides of the ball. Yep. We'll have yep. the revenge factor. The game's not in Seattle. Like, you go through – Bo Nix has been playing better than Michael Penix. Right. The past month. Like, you go through your items on a checklist. Like, everything's Oregon. Right. You know, just in terms of, how, like, logically, how's this thing <laughs> going to play out? But, I mean – if you're watching, you're going, oh, Oregon's favored by nine over us? Right. <laughs> well, well, we'll have something to say about that. So so can Washington, you know, Washington's been the target team that everyone wants to take down. But can Washington now assume that mentality of, you know, hey, us against the world. No one believes in us. Right. Like, and that, that nine point line, like, you know, Kalen DeVore is talking about that. You know that he's going to say, they think you're a nine-point underdog right. to the Ducks, the, the team that you hate. Right. So can Washington just kind of change everything that's been going on from going from the hunted to, you know, no one's respecting us. Uh, that That's what Washington's do. It's, it's less about tactics. You're it's right. more about, hey, the, the first six weeks of the season, Washington looked great. You know, through, through mid-October, Washington looked absolutely fabulous. And ever since then, like, Arizona State was the game right after Oregon. Right. And in that Arizona State game, Washington's offense didn't score a touchdown. Right. They got a pick six. They didn't score a touchdown, won 15 to seven. Arizona State missed multiple field goals in that game. Like Stanford had them on the ropes. Stanford had them on the ropes. Stanford had them on the ropes. Yeah, it was a two Stanford two point game early fourth quarter and dropped an easy wide open fourth down and two pass. Yeah, and Washington would have been in in real trouble. Yes, so Washington's just been surviving, uh, you know, by by its fingernails the the past several weeks. And so it's less about the tactics; it's more about, you know, taking a deep breath and saying, "Hey, we don't, you know, stop thinking about what we can lose. Let's think about what we can win, and let's treat this as an opportunity and a fresh start." It's really about. Washington's look like a mentally fatigued team but it's gotten away with some bad performances because opponents just have had the knife to the throat haven't been able to land the final blow so washington just needs to achieve a reset for oregon i mean what do you do you you go hey let's convert fourth downs this time (laughs) and and this is a this is a big point both teams kickers have been bad not just average bad the past few weeks washington's kicker you know won the game at the end but he missed his previous three field goals and Oregon's kicker is shanking kicks yeah. left and right. He missed a shorty uh, last Friday against Oregon state. So the way these place kickers are going, you know, you're probably going to see Dan Lanning go for them four to three and four to four, because, you know, you and I talked about this uh, on your, on your show. We talked about this right after he got, he, game he was too aggressive. Lanning was too, was too aggressive in that. One of the things we were talking about, Jason, was, you know, hey, take the three points, take the field goal. But if your kicker's missing 35-yard kicks, right? you know, that throws that into, into question. It. it does. You're right. You're not, you're not assured of those three points. Right. So, so that is a that is a huge thing uh going into this game. You're probably gonna see a lot more fourth down uh go for it, go for it decisions by both of these coaches. And that's probably what's gonna decide the game. And an interesting element in this game, remember, it's indoors in Vegas, so no weather issues, no wind. So both quarterbacks who have great arms, have great receivers, won't have any issues with the weather or ball handling and gripping and all that stuff. It'll be perfect conditions. Who does that favor if it's perfect conditions? Wide receivers from from Washington or trenches more than offensive and defensive lines for Oregon? I think it's a wash, but I think what helps Oregon is simply that it's not Seattle. You know, that it's not just that, you know, when you have a rematch, it's there's obviously the revenge angle and one team has revenge and the other team's trying to win two straight. But when you when you uh, push that to the side, where was the first game played? You know, and so that's that to me is the bigger advantage. It's not so much the revenge angle that makes me go to Oregon. It's that the first game was in Seattle and this game is in not Seattle. So it's not as like. It, it, obviously, if it was in Autzen Stadium, that would be huge for Oregon. Right. But just the fact that it's not Seattle, it's not Husky Stadium, 
that in and of itself gives Oregon uh, a much more comfortable environment. And I assume, and I'm pretty sure this is true, but correct me if I'm wrong. I assume the tickets are distributed equally amongst the schools. I, I, w- I would have to assume so. Yeah. But I don't know like who's going to dominate the market. I, I would expect a pretty split crowd. I would too. Uh, I would think the Washington people you know, are going to travel. But let's keep in mind that, you know, in the past with the Pac-12 championship game, you've had a, a Northern team versus a Southern team, like Oregon versus Utah, you know, USC. or, uh, uh, USC, uh, you know, Stanford, right. Arizona. Right. So like, like Utah, much closer to Las Vegas than right. Oregon, Utah dominated that building <laughs> two years ago when Oregon and Utah played in the Pac-12 championship game and Utah, you know, crushed Oregon in the 2021 Pac-12 title game. So if both teams being from the Pacific Northwest going down to Vegas, you're, you're probably not going to have one side dominating the building. And with all the and with everything that's at stake stake in the game Friday, where other other Pac-12 title games you haven't had the stakes as high as they are now. This is yes. a, this is for a lot of people an elimination game. My question would be, what if Oregon wins another? What if Oregon wins a three point classic? Everybody says Oregon's automatically in, but how, I mean, how do you penalize Washington if you play two classic games and both teams win a game? I know it's a conference championship, but both teams yeah. have a great schedule. They both had one loss. And they both beat each other once in two classic games. If it's a classic game, how do you automatically eliminate Washington? I think you do have to go to the conference championship. And let's remember the first college football playoff in 2014. You know, that's why TCU didn't get in. And like, I have my issues and problems with how all of that went down. Like TC, if, if TCU uh, wasn't good enough to get in, I'm like, I don't have a problem with that. But if you remember from 2014, TCU was n- ranked number three in the next to last playoff rankings. TCU beats Iowa State by 52 points and then falls from three to six. Right. Now, come on. If TCU was number three and, and then won its final game by 52 points, it didn't suddenly become the number 16. So right. my problem with that with that first playoff in 2014 it was that TCU was put at number three. If the conference championship, you know, which TCU did not win, Baylor was the, the big 12 championship champion that year. Like my problem is not that Baylor was ahead of TCU and that Ohio state, you know, got in at uh, the number four seed because of that whole conference championship thing. That's not my problem. It's that everyone was led to believe that TCU actually had the inside track due to that number three ranking in the penultimate a playoff show right. like that was right. all manipulation if tcu was ranked fifth in the next to last uh right. playoff show in 2014 like we never would have had that controversy right it would have been ohio state because of the conference championship so like that messed people up and it really eroded the credibility of the college football playoff but if we are going to distinguish like winning your conference is supposed to matter uh and especially jason you know if you win your conference, but you lose twice and another team lost once, that's different. Right. But if you both have one loss and you have the conference title, like that should matter. Remember in 2016, when ironically Washington got in and that was the last time Pac-12 champion uh, made the playoff, Penn State was Big Ten champion with two losses. Right. And that's why Washington with only one loss got in. But if you you have only if you have two teams with the same amount of losses, you put in the conference champion. And I have a feeling we're going to talk about other playoff scenarios in a similar uh, vein uh, coming up short. We're going we're going to that next. Give me a quick. Who do you like yeah. in the game Friday? I do like Oregon, and I actually, you know, I was surprised that Oregon was a nine point favorite. Like I ah. was thinking maybe like four and a half, maybe five, uh, but. All that having been said, like I think about all the variables in this game and the way these teams have been playing, like Washington's just been Washington has been begging for a butt kicking against a against a good team that puts it all together. I think Oregon's going to put it all together, and so I I would take Oregon minus the nine. I'm going the other way. I think Washington's a team of destiny with my my guy Michael Penix from Tampa. I think he he's just he's one of those guys, kind of like Jalen Hurts. 
just makes the play when you have to have the play made. Sometimes he goes through streaky spurts in a game where for a quarter they're not very good, but when money's on the line like he did at USC, like he did last week, I think Caleb DeBoer, him and him and DeBoer's chemistry together with the play calling, I think Washington's a team of destiny. They're going to find a way to get it done in Vegas, and I definitely like the nine, but I, I think Washington's going to win the game. All right. Let's go to let's go to the let's go to the the the, uh, the the rankings. I think tomorrow, I think in no no doubt, the rankings are going to be Georgia one, Michigan two, Washington three, Florida State four. I think they're all the they're the only four teams undefeated. Obviously, if all four teams win, the committee's job is pretty easy. I'm going to give you one scenario. I'll ask you about in a minute. But if all four teams win Saturday in their title games, I think those are your four. But if we have a little bit of chaos, I'm going to give you the first scenario. What if Florida State loses to Louisville? No, or backup, backup quarterback. They struggled in Gainesville, found a way to get it done. If Florida State loses and you have Georgia, Washington, and Michigan 12 and 0, and you have a one loss Texas team and potentially a an Ohio State. Who gets the fourth spot? Is it Texas? Is it Ohio State? Who do you give the fourth spot to? Got to be Texas, right? It has to be Texas. That road, like that road win at Alabama, held up. And you know, obviously, you know, remember in September we were thinking, oh, this Alabama team might lose three, four games. You know, and yeah. that that Texas win might not look so good. Well, sorry, Alabama has just uh, one loss. So, like, the value of that win really holds up uh, for Texas. So, yeah, te Texas would. And the other thing is. You know, Florida State's wins over um, LSU and Clemson did not hold up, especially Clemson. Like the, those, the quality of those wins uh, did not age well, nearly as well as a lot of people anticipated. Is there any scenario in your mind where a 13 and 0 Florida State they escape against Louisville, low scoring game, don't play well? Is there any scenario where an undefeated Florida State gets bumped by Texas or even a one loss potentially Georgia team? Zero. If you are a 13 and 0 power five conference champion, you are in period. No matter the quarterback situation. Nope. Nope. They deserve to be in. Like we've like we've seen teams with uh injured quarterbacks getting into the BCS championship game. Like like the hey, the first ever BCS championship game. That was Florida State. Tennessee. And, uh, Florida State had an injured uh, quarterback back then. Yep. Uh going against Tennessee in the Fiesta Bowl. And an interesting thing was Tate Rodemaker was very fortunate he got up Saturday night in Gainesville with the hit he took. I yes. was stunned he came back in the game in that game. I can't believe he got in. can't believe he went back in. And they I can't believe the in. medical staff yeah. let him back in that game. Yeah. And number two, though, he was very fortunate he did not suffer a severe injury, which would have put a potentially third-string quarterback in a scenario this week against Louisville. That would be the one scenario if, if Rodemaker were to get hurt this week and Florida State had to finish the game with a third, even if they won, I could see a scenario where if a third-string quarterback comes in for Florida State, even though they beat Louisville, they could bump Florida State. That would be the only case I could see. All right, next Let's scenario. Hope it doesn't get to that. I hope so, too. I'm a Florida State guy. I hope it doesn't either. Yeah. But I could see a scenario where – okay, next scenario. I'm going to assume Michigan's going to win because they're the biggest yeah. favorite on the board. 22-point favorite, yeah. Let's go to let's go to Georgia. Let's say Alabama beats Georgia. Let's say Florida State wins. Let's say Washington wins, and let's say Michigan wins. So now you have a one-loss Alabama, one-loss Georgia, one-loss Texas. What do you do? And th this is the this is the firestorm scenario, right, Jason? Like th yep. this is this is the powder keg. This is you know the the atomic bomb, but you have to exclude. Georgia in that scenario okay. because because Georgia played a bunch of cupcakes in the non-con and also like just in a Georgia Alabama comparison first off Alabama would have the head-to-head -head, Alabama would have the conference championship and Alabama beat LSU would and Georgia did not play LSU you okay. have to have Alabama above Georgia you have okay to. so the other un and then the other unbeaten teams you have to exclude Georgia there. Okay. But of course, okay. that that's the new that's the thermonuclear scenario that, and it would be amazing if if that's what happened. Okay. Okay. So we've excluded Georgia. Now you still have Alabama, Texas, both conference champions, both one loss. We obviously know Texas went to Tuscaloosa. 
Is that a scenario where both Alabama and Georgia are out and Texas gets the nod? If it's a if you got three teams for one spot, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Texas Georgia's has out. To be it. Texas has to be it. Like you, you Georgia's the first team you eliminate because Alabama has to be ahead of Georgia. Yeah. And that's a Texas Bama comparison. And let's remember, like, let's remember 2008. Remember that? The three-way Big 12 South tie. And you know, Texas beat Oklahoma on a neutral field, whereas Oklahoma beat Texas Tech at home and Texas Tech beat Texas at home. So in the three-way tie, Texas was the one team that had a head-to-head win on a not at home. And so te- it should have been Texas against Urban Meyer and Florida in 2008. Oklahoma getting in was the wrong call. So like if that, if that comes to pass, uh, th- this year, it has to be Texas. Like you have, not only do you have to honor a head-to-head win, but especially a road night win. Like if th- if that doesn't matter, like then are we going to see? Te- you know, obviously next in the future, right. Texas and Alabama are both going to be in the SEC. But this year, of course, it was a non-conference game. If Texas doesn't get in, no one's going to schedule big non-conference games in the future. No one. And you, of course, you don't want that for college football going into the future. All right, now let's go to the to the chaotic scenario of all chaotic scenarios. Alabama beats Georgia. Louisville beats Florida State. Oregon <laughs> beats Washington. Now what do you do? We have a one-loss Georgia. You have a one-loss Florida State. You have a one-loss Washington. You have a conference champion Alabama, conference champion Texas. One loss, Ohio State still laying in the weeds, and you got Oregon with one loss. You got potentially seven teams. You would have seven teams with one loss, and only <laughs> Michigan undefeated. And only only Michigan undefeated. Yeah. So well, so you really just have to do this piece by piece, right? And and everything that we've talked about, you just basically align the different individual pieces of the conversation. But you can't had. compare like, one team to every one team to another. You got to compare one team to all the one loss teams, don't you? You are you well. You are comparing several teams, but you're working within these different conference silos. Like right. so, within the SEC, like this is the thing. It, it's a it's a national playoff, but but the national playoff is comprised of your conference representatives or conference champions. Okay, and so, so the within, scenario you'll have here, the Matt, SEC, here's the Here's the scenario, the SEC, have, Matt. Real, real quick. I'm gonna give you the scenario. You'd have a you'd have a, a conference champion Alabama. They're probably gonna make it if they beat Georgia. You have a yeah. conference champion Texas. They're gonna make it. Michigan's won. Now the scenario is Florida State one loss. They're out. I think they're out. One loss. Florida State's out. Yeah. Now you have a one loss Washington. Do you take a conference champion Oregon? What do you What do you do? What's the What's the What's yeah. the Tuesday scenario here? If you like, if so, if you elevate Alabama over Georgia because of head to head in a conference championship, you would have to elevate Oregon over Washington. And, and of Texas course, would be know, the fourth team. And 10 Texas would be the fourth team. But I, and people will say, well, Oregon and Washington split head to head. Right. So that's not the same as Texas right. over Alabama, but it remains conference champ. Like, okay. And that's the other thing. Why play these conference championship games if they're not going to be? basically tiebreakers because oh, printing, money, champion... oh, printing money printing money <laughs> printing is why they play these games well, of course but like if you know so but i mean it does bring up a point jason and this and this is something that i've talked about before college football should in my mind restructure these conference championship games such that you know if one team clearly finished at the top of its conference then the the conference championship game television slot or the television property, you turn that into a game between two teams that are on more even footing. So in other words, you would declare Washington the Pac-12 champion because Washington beat Oregon head-to-head, is 12-0, whereas Oregon's 11-1. You declare Washington the Pac-12 champion. So in this Pac-12 title game TV window on Friday night, December 1st, you have Oregon play Texas. 
and and you use that as a playoff game or a play an elimination in, game. Yep, an elimination tiebreaker game. game, basically. Yep. You know, because like who who wants to see Texas play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State? State? Right. Yeah. So I think that if college football is smart, BSPN smart, you will see like flex scheduling with these conference championship games wow. such that you don't have to have two teams from the same conference if one team is the sole outright winner of the conference in the 12-game regular season in the nine-game conference season. Because like there's no tie in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, the you know or Washington's finished first in the standings. Oregon finished second. Right. So you then use the Pac-12 title game property, the commercial property, the te- television property, uh, as a way to play or put Oregon against Texas or another team. Well, these like co- you know, what Florida State doesn't play Louisville. Florida State could play Texas Alabama or Texas, yeah, something yeah. like that. You know, or like Florida State could play Alabama in the SEC championship game. You say Georgia's the SEC champion, but because it's unbeaten and Alabama has one loss, but you have Florida State play Alabama instead of Louisville. Again, a much more attractive television property that's going to get bigger eyeballs. That is something that college football should should think about for the future. These title games obviously are going to be devalued next year with 12 teams making the playoffs. Yes. Devalued a little bit. Um, some of these rivalry games, the Ohio State Michigan game could be devalued a little bit yep. as well. Uh, because and this leads uh, to another thought. This leads to another thought. Because you're going to have 16, 18 team super conferences, you know, yep. with what's happened with realignment, could be like the Big Ten and SEC should both consider this for the future. Have not just a conference championship game, but conference semifinal games. <laughs> you like you're getting you're going to get two more high end games late in the season that could be playoff uh play in games. I think it's time if you have a large conference, you know, if you have a 16 team conference, you can't play each other regularly. So having conference semifinal games would be a perfect way of getting more high end inventory but putting it into like a championship uh formula. That's another big idea that that college football needs to be thinking about all right quick thought and then i want to get to the coaching hires does the winner of the if both play well does the winner of oregon washington Knicks, or Penix win the heisman trophy if they both play well i think so Jaden daniels is the most fun and entertaining player in college football too many losses too many losses three losses and he was not the best player on the field against florida state and he wasn't the best player in the field against Alabama right and it's like that that to me undercuts the idea that he's the most outstanding player and I think you know just per just in terms of an eye test the most outstanding player in college football this year Marvin Harrison Jr but but, but, but you but you have to have enough statistical weight you know along with just the eye test and like the NFL draft combine element so Harris that's where Harrison comes up short I think Knicks and Penix is really the heart of it, and that if one one out decisively outplays the other and also wins, that's going to be your Heisman Trophy winner. I agree. I think if, especially if Penix beats him twice, beats Oregon twice, I think he's in the driver's seat personally. So, all right, let's go to a couple of coaching hires. With there's been some stuff over the weekend, and there'll be some more stuff coming here. You got A and M who hired Mike Elko from Duke. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Mississippi State hires Jeff Levy. Michigan State hires a guy from your neck of the woods, Jonathan Smith from, from Oregon State. Obviously, um, with Oregon State kind of being in limbo where they're going, I think you hate to say it, but Jonathan Smith had to take that job because of the payday, yep. plus the the high-profile nature of Big Ten. He's shown he's a great developer of talent, of lesser lesser rosters. So I think that's been a key thing. For, and he's done probably as much as he can do at Oregon State. You hate to say that. But with them not having a conference affiliation, he had to take that job. Any of those three jobs surprise you who they hired? Uh, I'm very surprised that Mississippi State hired Jeff Levy. Let's remember, you know, like he has a relationship with Art Bryles. Like th- that's a bad PR hit. That's, that's a negative PR hit. And Oklahoma fans did not like Jeff Levy. They hated him. They wanted <laughs> to run him out of town. They were ready for a better offensive coordinator. Oklahoma couldn't consistently score against Oklahoma state and, and really squandered an opportunity to uh, meet Texas 
in the Big 12 championship game. So, so like Mississippi State, what are you doing? Mississippi State should have been going after Willie Fritz. I, I, and I can't, I don't understand these power five programs in like the Mississippi State tier, you know, not the top tier, but like that second tier below the heavyweights. What is it about Willie Fritz that these these uh, athletic directors aren't getting? I don't understand it. Willie Fritz is 23 and three in the last two years at Tulane. He's a god. Yeah, like he is doing unreal things. Why are people passing up on him? Georgia Tech was supposed to have had a, yeah. a great chance to land Willie Fritz and, and didn't go after him. I don't get it. Maybe he takes the Houston job. Holgerson just got fired at Houston. Maybe. I Maybe. think he'd be a great fit for Houston, a, a notch above in the Big 12, that similar recruiting area, Louisiana, Texas. Yep. I think he'd be yep. a really good hire there at Houston because Holgerson was never yes. a great, uh, you know. No. I, I never loved Holgerson at Houston. I think Fritz could be the guy at Houston. Uh, yep. Any surprises with who, who Oregon, Oregon State more target a an assistant guy? Is that do you anticipate them hiring a coordinator with obviously their their instability of where they're going? The scuttlebutt out of Corvallis is that Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator, and he's very highly regarded. Okay. He wants that job. All right. But former Wisconsin coach Paul Christ, okay, is in the running for that job. So Paul Christ and Trent Bray might be the two finalists for Oregon State. Um, the also. UCLA retaining Chip Kelly and UCLA just got firebombed by Cal at home 33 to seven. And yet UCLA is going to run it back with Chip Kelly and UCLA scored just seven points against an Arizona state team that finished three and nine. So what does that tell you? It tells you that beating USC was enough to you know make up for all this other bad football. Wow. From UCLA this season, like, and it also like, tells me one game big, season. Yeah, but it also tells me the big recruit that he thought was going to be a good player, Dante Moore, ain't nowhere near ready. So no. I think he's going to go find him a guy in the transfer portal. He's got to yeah. find a quarterback in the portal uh, totally. that, can, that can run his offense. I think Chip Kelly, and I know you're closer to the situation than I am. I think he's done a pretty good job out there stabilized because they've been known the, his years. They've been known they can't play any defense. If the problem is finding an offense, I think Kelly will figure that out. They've been able to play some pretty good defense the last couple of years. I think he'll be able to figure out an offense once he finds a quarterback in the portal. Or Dante That's Moore. That's a fair sure. point. That's a fair point. They were much better on defense this year than they were last year. So if he does get a home run uh, quarterback in the portal, he could do something yeah. really good. That's a fair point. That would be my set. All right. Um Boy, give me a quick thought on Boise. They're in the title game, the Mountain West, with an with an interim coach. Does that guy get the job, or do they? What are they doing, Boise wise? You think those those players love the uh, interim coach? I think yeah. it's a pretty easy call. You know what? In these kinds of situations, when the players really love the interim guy after you fire someone else, uh, you know the ma main head coach midseason. My my view is this: you give that coach the next season as kind of the prove it year. You you give that interim two year contract season, three year contract. Give, well, I mean, you know, you 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 give that coach the next season as like his audition. Okay, and like you just say, hey, you're my coach next year. Go after it, and then if that next season is a success, then you give him the longer term deal. Um, but but I but I you know like look at Mel Tucker at Michigan State. You don't want to sink yourself into a very big long contract. Right. Right. Based on one year. So like, you know, and like Georgia Tech. Now, again, we've talked about Georgia Tech already should have gone after Willie Fritz. But like Brent Key did a good enough job this year getting to a bowl game yep. to now merit a little bit more long term confidence. But if Georgia Tech had, had failed to make a bowl game, you know, then you say, you know what, we should go after uh, another coach. That's how yeah. I would handle that kind of situation. Give me a 30-second thought on USC, a disastrous finish with Lincoln Riley, all kind of heat coming coming his way with the defense and such. Give me a 30-second thought on where USC's going defensive-wise and just the, the the state of the program, 30 seconds. Have not heard anything about where the defensive coordinator search is going, but you know my own big board, Jim Leonard should be number one. That's the gold standard. That's the rock star. Tom Allen of Indiana, I mean, well, now yeah. formerly of Indiana, yeah. he would be number two. 
Dave Aranda gets retained by Baylor, so right. he's off USC's board. So really, Jim Leonard, Tom Allen should be the two guys that USC's looking at the most. All right, who do you do you see an upset in, in any of the game? Does Alabama beat Georgia? Does does potentially Florida State? I think Louisville beat? beats Florida State oh. with the backup quarterback. You know, and Jeff Brom's a really good coach. He's had a really good year. And Louisville, you know, choked against Kentucky. They're going to come back really fired up. What about what about Alabama, Georgia? Uh, you know, I, I don't have a strong feel for that game. But, you know, okay. Georgia does keep finding answers in second halves. And Kirby Smart's been an amazing halftime adjustment coach. So I'm going to give the nod to the champions against All Alabama. Right. Matt Zemick, USA, USA Today, Trojan Wire. Awesome work, man. You can find Matt Zemick. Tell me where they can find you on Twitter quickly. Trojans Wire, tweeting about the defensive coordinator search and, of course, also college basketball. And if you want to find about, about Bronny James, his his, yep. his reacclimation to the team, go to TrojanWire.com. Any big news with USC, definitely go to Trojan Wire. Matt's a terrific uh, follow on Twitter as well. He talks about all things college sports, a little politics, lots of stuff. So great talking to you, Matt. Enjoy championship weekend out west. You got a classic out in Vegas. Enjoy it. And we will talk to you real soon as we get to the playoffs, okay? Thanks, Jason. You got it. Appreciate you finding us on the Powers on Sports Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.